Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. As always, but especially right now, we have a very rich liturgical week in the Byzantine Catholic liturgical calendar. This Sunday, today, is the third Sunday of Lent, the third Sunday of the Great Fast, which is a Sunday that commemorates the cross. It's called the Veneration of the Cross. But also, it's the prelude to tomorrow's great feast, March 25th, and that is the Feast of the Annunciation of the Mother of God, where the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and announces that she will be the mother of the Messiah. It's interesting how this feast day of the Annunciation, with all of its joy, comes right in the middle of the great fast, with all of its repentance, you know, its darkness. Although we do call the fast the bright sadness, it still has sadness because we're aware of our sinfulness and our relationship to God that must be renewed and cleansed. And that makes us bright then. In other words, we become brighter by renewing and repositioning ourselves more correctly and honestly before God. So you've got this darkness, this repentance, this remorse going on. At the same time, you have right in the middle of that this joy of the Annunciation In the Eastern Churches, we put a lot of emphasis on the Annunciation. In fact, it actually takes a certain precedence during the season of Lent, and so much so that there are times when it falls on Holy Friday, Holy and Great Friday, the great feast of the crucifixion of our Lord, the death of our Lord on the cross, which is the very center of our faith, Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And yet, even if it's on Great and Holy Friday, The Feast of the Annunciation still gets its due. It is celebrated right alongside the very death of Christ on the cross. Now, why would that be? It's because, as the Eastern Fathers tell us, that had it not been for the Incarnation, the Annunciation, there would not be the salvation purchased for us by Christ dying on the cross and rising. So it all starts with his mother. It all starts with the conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary by means of the Holy Spirit. 
So this is why it is given such prominence even alongside something as prominent, as great, as essential and pivotal as Christ's death on the cross. As always, the liturgical treatments of these great feast days, the cross and also of the Annunciation, are very rich and very meditative. And we're going to walk through some of those liturgical texts today as we meditate and immerse ourselves in the mystery of the cross, but also of the Annunciation. Another really gratifying aspect of this celebration of the cross in the Eastern traditions is that it comes right smack in the middle of Lent. And even the cross has a certain, especially during Lent, it has a certain positive or bright dimension to it. It never loses its dark dimension, you know, the suffering, the unjust suffering of Christ on the cross, you know, the the bloody, horrific suffering. But in characteristically Eastern style, we look at these things in the both and. So we've got the darkness, but we also have the brightness. The cross was the means to our salvation. And there is so much to the cross that gives us the right blueprint for life. It's, It's the very mystery of life, actually. It's the very mystery of happiness. And so what we do during Lent is we actually venerate the cross. It's richly decorated, and it's set amidst these decorations. Usually it's flowers, oftentimes red roses. And the priest takes that decorated cross in procession from the altar through the icon screen into the nave and holds it up to the people and then places it on a table in the middle of the church. We call that a tetrapod in some Eastern churches. And we bow before that cross and we sing, save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. And we bow before the cross and the people come up and they venerate that cross. In other words, we hold it up like a banner, as though we're proud of it. We're brandishing that cross. And it's also a sign of hope. It's something like when soldiers are fighting in the war and they see an image of the flag and somebody has to carry the flag. And when that flag goes down, somebody else picks it up and that flag kind of goads them on. It gives them that symbol of what they're fighting for. It energizes them, gives them the goal and the aim. Well, that's how we use the cross in the third Sunday of Lent. It goads us on because at this point, if we're taking Lent very seriously, which we should, we should perhaps be feeling a certain weakness, almost feeling like, ah, this this fasting stuff, this is for the birds. I can't do this. I'm going to have to ease up on it. No, no, no. Stay with it. Stay with the rigors, no meat or dairy products and all the other things that we should be abstaining from, things that we're basically addicted to practically or near addicted to, things that we feel that we just can't live without that will so bother us not to use or to have. You know, from TV to the use of our phones, from texting to internet usage to video games to all kinds of things that are so much a part of our life that are really excessive. We'll become to look at them as though they're necessary parts of our life, whether or not. There's so much that we can divest ourselves of when it comes to the season of Lent. And that's difficult. In a sense, we get like a war going on between us, a tug of war within us between what we like, what we're attracted to, and what we're trying to back away from, to exercise discipline or power over rather than allow it to have power over us. And that's difficult. And we do begin to weaken, especially if we're fasting seriously. And so the cross is there and raised in front of us in the church, richly decorated, to be that inspiration, that thing that goads us on. In the liturgical services, we pray things like this during this Feast of the Branch of the Cross, this third Sunday of Lent. O lofty cross of my Lord, 
Show me the divine image of your beauty. Grant that I may adore your most pure glory. I speak to you and surround you with reverence as if you were alive. And indeed, this does happen a lot in the Eastern liturgical tradition. It's very dynamic. It's very, in a sense, theatrical. I always say that Disney has nothing over on us. We had animals and rocks and things talking as if they were animated and human centuries and centuries ago. And then Disney made it famous with Mickey Mouse and everything else. I mean, it's wonderful, but we had it first because we take what is of nature, realize that through things like the Annunciation, the Incarnation that we're going to celebrate tomorrow, realize that because of that fact, that great mystery, God has infused himself into his entire created order, which means it has that special quality almost as though, well, in fact, as Christ himself said, and if we kept silent, the rocks and trees themselves would sing out his praises. So we kind of run with that in the Eastern liturgy, and we actually make the rocks and things talk. We even make the cross speak to us. And that's why we say in this prayer that I just read that we speak to the cross as if it were alive. That's how real it is to us. We actually develop a relationship with these things that are essential parts of our salvation, like the cross. We bow down to it. We talk to it. Now, it's not about worshiping idols. It's about having such a profound sense of the incarnational value of these things, of how real they are. It's as though we can talk to them as though they're a person. Did you ever do that with maybe even your pets, like your dog? Sometimes I get to the point where I can speak to my own dog, Zeon, which is a reference to the hot water we use during the Eucharistic prayer in the Byzantine liturgy. Zeon means like fervent spirit or warm spirit. Anyway, my dog's name is Zeon. Sometimes I feel like I'm speaking to another human being when I'm speaking to him. Because the way he responds and the relationship you have, even with pets, with animals, and they respond back to you, you almost think you're dealing with somebody human. Now, I'm not trying to say that we look at dogs or inanimate things, things without a soul or life like rocks. We're not saying we look at them the same as a human, but we look at them in a way where we have a relationship with them because of the incarnation, because God has fused himself into them and they reveal God in their own way. So we do have a relationship with all of creation. And this is how it was at the beginning with Adam and Eve. And that relationship with all creation, especially between us and another person, man and woman, such as Adam and Eve, that did get harmed. And so those relationships are sometimes estranged or difficult or alien. But the liturgy of the church, so its verses, what we do is we restore that relationship. We get close to everything in creation. It becomes real to us because God is real. And God reveals himself through his creation, even through the wood of the cross. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyola. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. 
to hear the rest of this and other bold talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click subscribe. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Father Loya invites you to see the new Tabor Life website. That's TaborLife.org. When you land on the homepage, you can see how Tabor Life can help improve your marriage, your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On TaborLife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On TaborLife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, Click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Tabor Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Tabor Life is powered by you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya on this, well, certainly, as we say during Lent, bright sadness. This is certainly days of bright sadness because we have the sadness of our repentance and remorsefulness of Lent, but also the brightness of our, hopefully, growing more holy, more self-disciplined, more like we were at the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, our original selves. And also we have the brightness coming up of the marvelous feast of the Incarnation, the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary. Another verse from the veneration of the cross is one in which we say this, Let us give thanks to God and praise him, all you people, for we now see the Holy Cross and venerate it with love. Understand this, all you demons, and submit yourselves. Understand this, all you people, and submit yourselves, for through the cross God is with us. Did that sound familiar to you? Well, if you've ever attended the Christmas Eve services in any Byzantine church, you'll recognize that's a paraphrasing of what we sing for the birth of Christ. It's a paraphrasing from the prophet Isaiah, where he says, Hear all you nations and submit yourself, for God is with us. Now, you notice what happens in this liturgical verse. Here we are. We're well past Christmas. We're into the other cycle, in the cycle of Christ's death and resurrection. And here, liturgically, the two rhythms, the two parts of the liturgical year are fused together in this prayer. Let us give thanks to God and praise him, all you people, for we now see the Holy Cross and venerate it with love. And here comes the part that paraphrases Isaiah that should sound familiar to you if you've been at the Byzantine services for Christmas Eve. Understand this, all you demons, and submit yourselves. Understand this, all you people, and submit yourselves. For through the cross, God is with us. That phrase, God is with us, is the resounding phrase that we sing triumphantly during the Christmas Eve services. But there's one little addition they stuck in here. It's not just understand and hear and submit all you peoples. It also says, all you demons. 
So it adds that little twist because what's going to happen here? Well, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is going to slay and break the power of the demons. So yes, they need to beware. Beware, understand this, all you nations, and submit yourselves, for God is with us. So again, the cycles of the year, the liturgical year, which are basically two main cycles, it's the birth of Christ, the incarnational part, and then the salvific part, the death and resurrection of Christ, they are ingeniously fused together, not only in the liturgical text, but also in the iconography. If you ever look at the iconography of the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the nativity of Christ, one of the things you'll see right smack in the middle of all three of those icons is a cave with darkness in it. And in the middle of that is the presence of Christ. And what that is saying and putting together is the basic theme that into the darkness of this world, the tyranny of the evil one, of Hades, that has ruled this world, into that darkness comes the triumphant Christ, the light of the world. So you see, the liturgical life of the church, this is why we speak about it often here in Light of the East, and we quote from it, is so integrated. You see, it's not just the words we say. The words reflect what's in the icons, in the art, which reflects what's in the scripture. And all that is brought together in ritual and gesture in the liturgy of the church, in the rubrics and what we actually do with our bodies, the bowing, the procession, the prostrations, the blessing of ourselves, the lighting of a candle, the kissing of an icon, the partaking of the body and blood of Christ with our own bodies. All these things come together in a marvelous integration. And what's essential about that is it's not just a religious experience, not just, oh, it's a, it's a holy experience. Church is holy. So we have holy paintings, we have Eucharist, holy hymns, and so on. Yes, it is that. Those are the essential elements. But what all that does, it brings everything together and immerses us in the truth, in the mystery of God, the mystery of life, and it gives us the right vision of life, the right ordering of things. You see, we're going to celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation right alongside this midpoint of Lent. And the Annunciation, I'm going to use the term incarnation, is the revelation of the one great mystery. What's the one great mystery? The one way to see and experience all of life, the one blueprint. It's very simply that invisible realities, the invisible God has become visible, been made visible, even tangible, reachable, so that we can actually commune and touch God with our whole being that has happened because of God's incarnation. And with that comes the blueprint of how to see all of life, especially the whole created order, but also how to approach all of life. In other words, we approach it incarnationally. If we can see in every tree that exists, we see an aspect of reverence. Every tree in the world is reverent. It has a certain reverence about it. Why? Because it was upon that tree that Christ saved us, that particular plant. The very plant that was the means of our undoing, you know, it was a tree in the middle of paradise that God told us, Adam and Eve, humans, not to touch. But they did touch it. 
And therefore, through that tree, not because of the tree, but through the tree and because of our act of will, our rebellion against God, the whole cosmos fell. Everything was ruptured and disintegrated, especially the human person. So what does God do? He takes that very same thing and redeems it. He doesn't redeem just Adam and Eve, just a human person. He redeems all creation and specifically uses the instrument of our fall, the tree, to redeem us. He's going to mount that tree. He's going to mount that very thing that was the instrument of our downfall. And he's going to make that thing once again our redemption, our salvation. Going to make it wonderful, beautiful, and holy. So we should reverence all trees. Not I'm not talking about being the so-called proverbial tree hugger, tree worshiper. We're not talking about being pagan. We're talking about having a sacramental vision of trees. Look what trees do for our lives. We can take a tree and build a house out of it, carve beautiful things out of it, make beautiful woodwork, make a piano that makes beautiful music out of it. We can go on and on and on. Trees provide fruit for us, buildings, protection. So many things are provided by trees. But also so much of other aspects of creation as well. The whole creator needs to have a certain reverence shown towards it. We don't have to be an environmentalist to know that. All we have to do is look liturgically, sacramentally at the created order. Now, if we look for a moment at how we observe the Feast of the Annunciation, one of the interesting things we do liturgically is, and this is used several times during the liturgical year in the Eastern churches, is the liturgy is, in a sense, like a dialogue. For example, Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary, and this is what we pray. In other words, what I'm going to read sounds like a dialogue, but it's actually our prayers. In other words, it's called dogmatic hymns. Gabriel stood in your presence, O Holy Virgin, and revealed the eternal plan to you. He greeted you and announced, Rejoice, O earth, that had not been sown. Rejoice, O burning bush, that was not consumed. Rejoice, O unsearchable depth. Rejoice, O bridge, which leads to heaven. O high ladder which Jacob saw, rejoice, O vessel of divine manna. Rejoice, O invocation of Adam, the Lord is with you. Then the Virgin Mary responds. The blameless maiden said to the captain of the heavenly host, You appear to me as a mortal, and your words go beyond human thought. You have said that God is with me, and that he shall take up a boat in my womb. Tell me then, how am I to become a holy temple for the infinite one? the Lord who rides on the cherubim. Do not mislead me with deceit, for I have known no pleasure and have not approached wedlock. Therefore, how shall I give birth to a child? You see what's happening here? The liturgy takes what is in the scripture and it turns it into a kind of a drama, kind of elaborates on it, as if there were more things that were said between the Virgin Mary and Gabriel, but just didn't get into the scripture. In other words, it immerses us in the mystery of it. We could read the scripture and we should be able to get an inspiring sense of that. But what liturgy does is it enables us to go deeper into it, to make it more real. And that's why we use these dogmatic hymns where we use the words of scripture, but we put it into a, almost like a play, like a drama to make it very real to us. Because in fact, what happens in scripture really is our story. It's not reading about someone else. Yes, it is that, but that someone else really is us. 
And when Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary, in that moment is where the great mystery begins to be revealed, where the invisible starts to become visible. And this will change everything. It should change the way we see life, the way we approach all of life. And if we did approach life through the vision of the incarnation, all of life, the world would be so much better, so much different. But you know what helps us to see that way? The ascetical disciplines of Lent, understanding the mystery of the cross, which is about dying to self and rising to our true selves. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ABC Media. A Lenten Reflection with Monsignor Charles Pope. As Lent progresses, we move closer and closer to Good Friday, where our Lord will suffer so much for us. We ought to meditate frequently during Lent, and frequent looks to the crucifix are a good way to do this, and be so grateful to the Lord for what He's done for us. There's an old hymn, comes from the Protestant tradition, but it's a beautiful meditation, and the refrain just says, Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. Lord, lead me to Calvary. An old song also says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Because the cross is not just a place of suffering, but it's a place of love. And we ponder the immense love that we should have for the Lord and we know he has for us and the immense gratitude that we should have for what he has done for us. In Lent, be grateful and meditate on the passion of our Lord. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!